You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Anthony Joseph. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This was after we had buried my father in the soft earth of the Santa Cruz Valley. That same graveyard on the hill where our whole clan will eventually be replanted. And we swung dirges in the midday. So how did these fragments of a life and memory come together in a sonnet and song? You know, Caribbean lives, the life of Caribbean people is not, aren't really documented. And this comes out of my work doing another book called Kitsch. And in trying to piece together his biography, I found that the pieces of his life were in disparate form, that you could hear one story from somebody and then you could read an article somewhere and you could see another magazine article somewhere else. So when I came to write this collection for my father, I realized that it was the same process and what I had were fragments, especially with him because he wasn't around in a physical sense all the time. So all I had were little remembrances, you know, rings, I wanted to put them together as they came to me in fragments to sort of represent that sort of relationship between form and content. So there's the content of the book, which are the poems for him. And the, the poems are fragmented. They're not linear. They're little parts of his life and parts of my experience with him. And they were as I remember them. When people are absent from your life, they create more presence in your mind in some way. And he was definitely, it was definitely the case with him. So he became a, a kind of a muse-like figure for me in many ways. So then when he passed, you know, I, I decided, gosh, I've got to put all this in one place. And I've got to create a sort of biography of this man that endures, that lives on, you know, otherwise it'll all be forgotten. You know, I think James Salter, it was an American author, was really influential to me. And one of the things that he said was that, um, I forgot the exact quote, but he said at some point he realized that everything in life is a dream. Only the things that are written down have any possibility of being real and everything else is a dream. So the process of writing something down and fixing it in language kind of makes my father real in a way that he wasn't in his presence and that's art isn't it that's the process that's the artistic process that's part of the process of, of creating something fixing it in space and time that we then could go back time and time again and revisit anyway that's that's going into something else <laughs> no because i want to go into the, the music element because i really understand this point of memorializing and putting elegy and that's a, an object in the world and then it's so interesting that you work with the transient forms and improvisation and the, how that opens out your work it's just very mm. beautiful so yeah. tell us how you work with your collaborator my relationship with uh, improvisational music is something that i'm still trying to theorize and trying to understand exactly why it is it works so all i know is that in approaching a poem it's again it's about form and content it's about matching process to a content and for me the act of writing poetry is is kind of like a jazz soloist puts together a solo it's related in that way because as a as a writer as a poet you're always looking for a new the new you're looking for something a way a new way of saying something you're using language that everyone uses but you're using it always trying to use it in an original way. With poetry, you're pretty much on your own and your voice is sort of reflected through the process of creating something new each time. And in that process, it's similar to, to jazz. It's similar to the process of improvisational music because a soloist is trying to express something unexpressible, trying to express something that hasn't been expressed before. And I think because of that, because they're both searching, I think they create sort of a symbiotic relationship 
Speaking about the the rhythms of the language and Trinidad and Tobago, they were just wonderful expressions in all your collections. We spoke about the music of the language. Yeah, I think the job of a, a post-colonial writer is to infiltrate and to subvert and to augment what so-called standard English with Creole, to interject it, to put it on an equal plane. And what it does was sort of redress the balance and it says that this this language is just as valid as your standard English. So I kind of work with these ideas and what I love is the is the way you could create Creole using standard English. You don't have to misspell or you don't have to use phonetic spelling. You can just rearrange the syntax and create the feeling of Creole. You know, it creates a separate um, identity. It creates a separate cultural space, which is just as valid. The first time I actually came across your music, Anthony, was um, I had heard one of your more well-known songs, which is Calling England Home. I already thought the song had a cool, very unique tone to it, you know, a gloomy London night or something like that. And when I had heard it, I'd heard jazz before, and I'd heard poetry. I, I had never heard music like that before. It kind of blurs the line between a, a strict definition, you know? Yeah. It's so flexible. It's got so much versatility to it. That's, that's what I find most inspiration in. Thank you, Jacob. I appreciate that. Black and been here since 1949. West London jaw grind. Take it easy. Many years ago, I was in, uh, was in LA. I was doing a residency at Cal State. I was invited to go to a class and to just talk about my work. It was an MA group that was headed by Professor Laurie Ramey, who was at Cal State, uh, who was a big fan of my work and who invited me to do this residency. So I went, I went into the class and very unexpectedly in the middle of the class, she said, why don't you read something first, Anthony? And I didn't have any of my books. And she said, oh, just read something from your journal. I was like, but, you know, I can't. It's like, this is just ideas and the things I'm thinking about. You know, it's not, they're not poems. And she's like, no, just choose something. Just open it at random and just read something. And I did. And at the end, she said, you know, it was very personal what I read, but liberating. And she said that the personal is the universal. And that stayed with me, you know. The more you are honest in your work, And the more you speak to the sort of really minute of your own experience, somehow you affect more people by being more and more personal in your work. So in terms of working through identity, I think for me as a writer, my aim has always been to be explicit and to be honest in my rendering of the self and the experience that I've had in the work. So it's very open, it's very honest. I'm talking very on a very aesthetic level in terms of writing poems. On a political level, that's a different question, sort of experiencing and expressing a Caribbean, a Caribbean. The sense of Caribbeanness and being a Trinidadian was kind of there that I could, I could be that, you know, through language, you know, language again, you know, we were speaking Creole, we were speaking straight Creole. A large part of who you think you are as a nation comes through your artists, comes through books, fiction, uh, poetry, a painting. I'm talking about real expressive aesthetics of blackness and, you know, literature. We're looking at C.L.R. James in the 1930s. These writers began to really 
articulate what it meant to be Caribbean. And that is, I think, a lot of the origin of the way we see the Caribbean and the way we see who we are. I think people like Kim Braithwaite or Derek Wolgott have tried their best to really pin it down. What Braithwaite came up with was that Caribbeanness is characterized by a relationship to the ocean, to migration. Migration is at the heart of the Caribbean experience. And Braithwaite called it tidalectics, the way we negotiate language and the way we negotiate a sense of being is very much tied to the constant rotation of the sea. How would you say your relationship with home being in this space of crafting a sense of identity that you had prior to, but also melding that with this new sense and artists abroad that share that sense of maybe placelessness away from home, do you know? Mm-hmm. For me, I've become more Caribbean, more Trinidadian the longer I've stayed here, even though I've been here longer than I lived in Trinidad. I've become more Caribbean because I gained consciousness and an understanding of myself in Trinidad. And I, a lot of my memories and the things that really create me, I think, as a human being and, and my work, the things that create the way that I write and the images and the ideas, I guess 80% of that comes from experiences in Trinidad growing up. You know, the way I articulate the world and use language comes from those formative experiences. And as that formative experience has become more and more in the past, I hold on to it a little bit more because I don't want to lose it. So I become more Caribbean. Being an academic yourself, how does that interact with the art that you make, incorporating your academic side, your knowledge into your work? Because it's it's never lacking substance. Mm-hmm. I've had posts, the posts that I've had throughout the years, they've all allowed me a certain degree of freedom in, in what I teach and how I teach it. I have a worldview of literature. And I'm really into the places where they overlap, where African writers overlap with, you know, romanticism or whatever. I'm interested in those spaces. So I bring that to the students and they they like it. There are very few Caribbean academics that are teaching English literature or creative writing in the UK. There's only a handful of us. So in a very subversive way, my, my, my part of my role as an academic is to expand the canon So that means things like insisting that certain books are in the syllabus, more contemporary Black British poets or contemporary Black Caribbean poets, making sure that the syllabus is more reflective of the sort of sociocultural makeup of the country, you know. As you think about the future and the kind of world we're leaving, the next generation and the importance of the arts, uh, what would you like young people to know, preserve and remember? I think we are living in a time where language and imagery is saturating our lives and it's become very difficult for writers to find a space in that, to find a space that is, that is fresh and that articulates what it means to be alive in a way that isn't covered by all the media that we're getting bombarded with and all the language and imagery on social media or whatever. So the task of being a writer that is really able to penetrate into the human experience has become more challenging, I think, to create really important work that really affects people on a, on a personal level. The only thing I would tell people, really, uh, young writers, is, is uh, the personal is the universal. Think of yourself and your own experience. Go into what it means to be human, what it means to be alive, the things you experience, and write that, you know. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. 
To listen to the latest episodes, or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.